Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 77 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. And I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week on the show, we're talking about misdirected emotions. Misdirected emotion? Emotion? With a question mark on the end. This is an interesting topic if you're uh, especially a long-term fan of Stargate, especially if you have gone to conventions and had any sort of interaction with other fans and with the actors of the show. David, tell us one more time, what is misdirected emotion? You go to the conventions and you talk with people who who go there and they they basically think that the, the actors are often the embodiment of, of their characters. Like, you can't separate one from... From the other, and not not to suggest that people think that the actors are the characters, but they think that the actors, you know, uh, have created the characters basically. Uh, and, and some people believe that, uh, but I think that the writers play just as much a role in the creation of those characters as the actors do, and that a lot of people online give a lot of the writers flack uh, all the time. And I want to suggest with this, through various examples, the writers are just as much to praise as the actors are. And that maybe we need to start getting the writers at the conventions as much as the actors are. Because, you know, it's it's their workshops and, and their pen to paper that have brought the characters out to where they are. You know, through arcs yeah. and through everything like Everybody's that. Everybody's a part of the process. Yeah. They don't just put cameras in front of the actors and say, okay, show us what you're going to do this week. What I am suggesting in this podcast is that the writers and the producers are just as much a part of bringing those characters to life as the actors are, and that they just simply don't get nearly enough credit. This is not just for Stargate. This is for any show. Well, before we get to it, how's your week been? It's been a good week. We are launching the uh, third week of auctions. Um through PropWorks, Stargate Auctions. Uh, you can check that out at StargateArtifacts.com and uh, gearing up to launch week four, uh, just a few days after this podcast airs. It's been busy. Well, as I was telling you before we started the podcast, I've been watching Lost nonstop for over a month. So I, I'm just happy that Lost is back. Man, what a great show. I just feel myself in a better mood watching the show. <laughs> Watching people suffer and... Well, you know, when season six premiered, I was really surprised. I know that they were, you know, they always take the show in a, in a major new direction. Season two was about the hatch and season three was about the others. Season six, I was surprised that it was it largely about Vincent the dog. Vincent, you're serious. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's basically what it is, is it's a sitcom. So Ben and Vincent have gotten an apartment together on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And it's a three camera... Are you buying this? No, I'm not. Not for a second. All right. The main discussion. When you first pitched this idea to me, what I thought of was so many times when I go to conventions or read uh, Q&As on on the Internet uh, with actors, that sort of thing, you really often hear fans, uh, you know, gushing with praise uh, at an actor and saying something like, "That, that joke that you made in the episode when you said this or that, that was so funny. You're so... You're you're such a funny guy, and of course, from the actor's perspective, he's just reading it off the page and and delivering it. Mm. So he didn't come you know, up with that joke. Now sometimes they do. Sometimes they do, and sometimes they're ad lib. Yeah, but most of the time, no. That's it was scripted. Yeah, and the other thing is, if you if you watch interviews with uh, the writers of Stargate or other shows, if you read Joe Malazzi's blog, uh, occasionally you'll you'll see somebody ask 
a question about a certain line, whether that was ad-libbed by the actor because it just was so funny and natural and it, it seemed like the sort of thing that, that the actor might ad-lib. And, and invariably, 99 times out of 100, the answer is, nope, that was scripted. That mm-hmm. came from the writer's room. And I think it's, I think it's often funny. You, know, you hear them talking and, and at, at conventions like when they – or in interviews when someone does acknowledge, you know, this was a really great line. A lot of times the writer will say, uh, yeah, Brad gave me that one or no, Rob came up with that one. And Yeah, it wasn't even the, the person who wrote the episode. Exactly because the, no episode is written in a vacuum. They all get together and they all comb over each show. And, of course, the, the guy who wrote the episode or did the teleplay for the episode gets generally gets all the credit. I think the more and more you get into a certain show and and into television in general, I think it's always a valuable thing to watch a show with a little bit of knowledge of the way that things go on behind the camera uh, in the in the production process. It's such a a long drawn out process that that goes over several months and includes so many different people, and so you get. I mean, it's just this huge collaborative process between writers and producers and actors and directors and everybody in between. Um, editors, a lot of episodes we've heard have just been made to shine or in some cases have been rescued from oblivion by fantastic editors mm. who are sitting in a darkened room. And yet it seems that the actors normally get all the credit. Well, they're front and center. They are. It's it's understandable. And not to put down the actors, especially the Stargate actors that, that we know and love, these are some super talented people that, that do contribute in large ways to their characters. But what really brings a character to life when you get right down to it? I mean, first of all, it's the stuff that comes out of their mouth, their dialogue. And then you've got the uh, more subtle forms of communication, you know, that, and that's – this is where I really think the, the, the selection of the actor is the most important, where it's not just what's on the page. You know, the actor has to bring it to life. They have to – they have to reach into the page and see between the lines, see what's what's uh, meant to be really said. What's 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 my motivation? You know, the, you always hear an actor uh, the, the jokes. What's what's the actor's motivation? Uh, it's important whether or not the character is successful uh, in in those deliveries, and whether or not the overall show is successful. That leads the character into its own journey. It's on journey with other characters, but mainly, I mean, what's 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 the the character's overall story? You definitely have to account for both, especially in the delivery of of the lines on the page, because there are the lines on the page, which, you know, I've I've seen some episodes of television that have obviously the script was just brilliantly written. Uh, sometimes the dialogue is just poetic and beautiful. Uh, you know, you think of of lines given by Jakar. In Babylon Five, it's got these long soliloquies uh, that are just poetry, and then other times where it's absolutely minimalist. Uh, but the other side of that is the way that it's delivered. Uh, speaking of Lost, I just watched some behind-the-scenes stuff last week with the producers leading up to the premiere, and they said, you know, sometimes these actors can take really bad dialogue that we've written and just make it sing, and only somebody like Michael Emerson who plays uh, Ben Linus on Lost, can, can take a terrible line like, Destiny is a fickle bitch, and really make it work. I wouldn't say it all comes down to delivery, but a lot of it comes down to the delivery. You, know, you can't, I, I've heard that you can't ask an actor to say a certain line a certain way. You know? So mm. instead, you've got Peter Jackson having 
Ian McKellen say the same line of dialogue 40 times, waiting for Ian to say the exact phrase that he wants to say. That word up, that word down, that word this way, you know, as Gandalf. Because he can't come out and say, Ian, I need you to say it like so. It's such a, a trapeze act, you know, you to, to get the characters exactly where you want them. I mean, and some take off, some crash and burn, and you just can't do anything with them, so you phase them out. A lot of times, you know, you look at you look at characters like Benjamin Linus on Lost, or you look at characters like like Jack O'Neill or McKay. The actor brings so much to the role that it opens doors for the writer to to kind of play with the character because the actor has introduced so much, and that does happen a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's. A writer's dream, a producer's dream, is when you cast the right person who gives in their performance in such a way that it then turns around and, and informs the way that you're writing. And I'm sure that happens to a degree with, with just about any actor. Once you start to see them in dailies and, and hear their voice, you can start to write for that actor's voice. But there are, yeah, there are some of those actors like David Hewlett that just bring a certain something that, that obviously when Atlantis started, the, the writer's just took off and started having all sorts of fun with McKay. Or if you look at Voyager, you know, with, with Robert Picardo. Everyone wanted, by, by season five, six, seven, everyone wanted to tell Doctor stories and Seven stories because those were the, the or, and Doctor Seven stories because those were the most compelling characters to write for. I don't know mm -hmm. if I want to say that they were the easiest characters to write for, but you could do so much with them. Because they had created a, 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 a tapestry, the writers did, and the actors measured up to that, and it just worked. Yeah, it's a great credit to the writers, and, and you know, sometimes it's just magic. When you've got, you've got a good script and you've got a good cast, and everything just clicks, those make for the best shows and the best episodes. And again, there are other people in this process. There are editors and producers saying... Yeah, it sounded good on paper, and the delivery was kind of it didn't work out the way we thought. So the editor cuts it out of the episode, and and it makes for a better product. And at the end of the day, it makes for a better character. It makes for a better Sam Carter or Rodney McKay for not having that line in there. But then you've got episodes where they've clearly tried to do something, and it doesn't work. Somewhere along the process, someone just drops the ball. You know, I can I can think of episodes of, of any number of shows where the actor, I know what the actor is trying to do, but I am literally uncomfortable sitting here watching it. And I don't, <laughs> and I don't go back, and I I'd never watch those episodes again. And you wish that it could have been cut. Exactly, but you know, I mean, you you just have to. Sometimes you have to get to forty two minutes or whatever it is. Just because like, my reproductive organs are on. Uh, I've noticed a lot of times for me, it's not necessarily anything that that character does or says. Not necessarily any way that that the actor plays the part. Uh, sometimes it's in how they interact with other characters that I already like. I was a big, big fan of Sam Carter by the time that Rodney McKay came along in season five in mm. 48 hours. And he was so prickly and obnoxious. I mean, just textbook definition of obnoxious. You look up obnoxious in the dictionary and there's a picture of season five Rodney McKay, season five of SG-1. It was the way that he was playing off a character that I loved that made me both love and hate him at the same time. I loved, <laughs> to, hate, loved to hate him. Uh, and then the way he came back in, in Redemption in season six and was kind of 
kind of nice and and kind of sweet to her in this in this uh, infirmary scene where he's talking about being a pianist. <laughs> and then there are characters that you just fall in love with from the beginning. You know, I don't know what has drawn me to Anna Louise Plowman as Osiris and Sarah Gardner, but there was just something so sweet about that character. Yeah. Um, Daniel is is one of my all time favorite characters, and his struggle to 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 get her back. Um, I, I wish that that season seven's Chimera was just all about Daniel's struggle with Sarah, um, and that the the Pete and uh, Sam stuff was saved for another episode uh, that year. Because you know that 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 payoff when we get her back at the very end was was so sweet and just far 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 too short. Far because that is my favorite guest star to this day in SG One. You know, is is Anna Louise Plowman, and I've been trying to to inter to get her uh, interviewed for years. We've gotten really, really close, but you know, she's mm-hmm. a very busy gal. I'm going to be trying again really soon. Didn't uh, she say yes to us once? She did. She did say yes, absolutely. But you know, she's on her second right. child, and I'm waiting. We, we'll get her sooner or later. We'll get her sooner or later. But uh, you know, those some characters just you like from the beginning. And other characters just grow on you. I mean, I think for for me, for Benjamin Linus, when I really figured out that this character was clicking for me, is the scene in Lost where he's let out of the cell and allowed to eat a bowl of cereal. And <laughs> he is talking about... Uh, at this point, we think that he's... He thinks that he's just a, uh, the first balloon boy, you know, before we got the other balloon boy. Henry Gale. And we he begins to suggest... Uh, if of course you know if I was this and this and if I was this and this then I wouldn't let me do this and this and we begin to see the true colors of what actually establishes the the leader of the the, the others um, and at that point I was like I like this character and the character has just taken off ever since then uh, Michael Emerson and his character uh from from that scene very very early on but i think the day he became my favorite character was where he ends up uh at the beginning of the episode he wakes up in the tunisia desert and the the two guys on horseback come and and point their guns at him and and he acts all sweet and innocent no i'm hurt and and can you help me please and i'm no threat to you and then he whips out this baton and just totally kicks their ass and shoots them and takes their horse mm-hmm. he's not just a manipulative liar he's he's got the goods to back it up but that's a huge uh, sort of of scene it's that's uh, a lot of dialogue a lot of action a lot of performance a lot of physical performance where you can see that sort of thing doesn't happen unless you have a writer with a strong script and strong ideas behind the dialogue and an actor uh, who can who can make it sing well you look at uh, robert carlyle you just don't know what rush is about you think mm-hmm. that you've got him pegged, and you don't. Those are the best characters, in my opinion. The ones that have no edges, that have no measurable mass. And when you finally do get them, when their true colors are revealed, they surprise you. To me, yeah. that is when the characters really click. And that is more the writer than it is than it is the actor in that case. I think that's true. It's, it's uh, those moments when you realize that these characters are still capable of surprising you. That's what's entertaining so much about television is is when a show and a character and and writers behind it still have the capacity to surprise you. You don't see it coming. 
uh, in SG-1, there is a scene that, as we're talking about this, just pops out in my head. It's Red Sky in Season 5, and it's Jack O'Neill going absolutely ballistic on this villager after after their rocket ship gets blown up, you know, pins the guy to the ground and and puts his pistol to his head, threatening kill him because he's done this thing. Um, that Jack that's absolutely unhinged surprised me, and I've been watching Jack O'Neill for f- over four years. You just killed two of my men and screwed your whole planet. That's uh, Jack's Achilles heel is his people. Yeah, and you know that, that that scene gets written, and the producers talk about, uh, well, how far should Jack go? Uh, what are, how are his friends going to respond to hold him back? Uh, the words are there on the page, and the ideas are there, and then give all all the props to Richard Dean Anderson for pulling out all the stops and just selling that. So the roles of the actor, obviously, interpret the script. You know, go in with the writers and say, "Is this how you intended for this?" I mean, I, I see this. It's just a flat two-dimensional sentence here. The, the vibe that I'm getting from from reading the rest of the script is that this is how you intended it. I mean, and the interpretation of that actor is very important. Uh, that that again, it comes back to hiring the right person. So you have to give that all to the actor. Coming in to work with your lines memorized is very important. We've heard horror stories of, of actors who have, have have not come to work with their lines memorized and they eventually disappear. Or their guest stars who don't get invited back because they had to be basically fed, fed their lines off cue cards. That does. That is true. And that that comes down to just like an, a bit of a little bit of arrogance. Where, you know, you, you hire a, a high-profile person, you know, who thinks that they can come in on that set and slow things down because they're who they are. Uh, it's, it's a power play, and it's, it really sucks. So, and you don't bring that person back after that. I think one of the core tenets here uh, of the actor, and this comes out in, in the actions and the dialogue and everything else, but I think one of the core tenets that a lot of people grab on, gra- grapple onto, if you look at the thunk threads, that's certainly an example, is to look pretty. You know, it's important for the actor to look pretty. Everyone on oh, yeah. television is always beautiful, except for maybe... That's a big reason these, these men and women get cast, is because they are darn good looking. Absolutely. And, and, but, you know, you, you, have, you have people like Jorge Garcia from, from Lost, you know, who plays Hurley Hugo Reyes, you know, who's obviously not cast to look pretty, but you, you love the character nonetheless because of who he is, because of, of, of who he brings out. Or, I mean, the, the actor who played Binar. You know, in in uh, Jolinar's memories, you've got a compelling character. You know who you're not going to thunk over, but the the leads, you know, the leads <laughs> on any show somewhere out there, they there's someone to... thunking over Binar. Uh, the leads got to look pretty. It's it's important. The leads, in particular, and in in an action adventure show like Stargate, in particular. And I hate to say it, but there are fans out there who I, I've read their posts on GateWorld who who looked at SGU and they said, I'm not going to watch SGU. There's no one attractive that I want to stare at. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> are you daft? You know, is that, oh is that why you look at a show for eye candy? Is that all? There's a different level of fandom there. And, and I'm not going to poo-poo it. I'm not going to poo-poo that, that a lot of viewers who fell in love with Michael Shanks because of, of his role as Daniel Jackson on Stargate will now follow Michael Shanks around. Uh, as, as much because they are a fan of of uh, his looks than than the fact that they're a fan of his acting. Well, I can understand going into a new show and and saying, well, you know, there's there's not a whole bunch of people that I can see myself 
rooting for for their physical appearance, but maybe they'll surprise me. You know, maybe maybe their acting will surprise me, or the or the, the dialogue that they have will will make me fall in love with them. But yeah, just that Jerry I, Ryan, Jerry Ryan, but well, Jerry Ryan. You know, I mean, she was dating Brandon Braga oh, the entire Jerry thing. Ryan. Come on. No, when she when she joined the cast, there was a, whole, a Voyager, a Seven of Nine. There was a, a whole bunch of uh, fans up in arms over the fact that we just taken this buxom blonde babe and put her in a skin tight suit, and Voyager's just going to be you know the Stargate sex show. We're just going to watch her prance around the corridors. And it turns out she's a phenomenal actress and brought a depth to this character that was just unrivaled in Star Trek history. And most of them shut up. After that, because they realized that, yes, they were bringing in someone who had a, a great physical appearance, but they also it was very important to them to 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 get an actress who who matched that physical appearance with some darn good acting, uh, yeah. a, a compelling, compelling character. So they need to look pretty. They but breathing life into the character just just plays into that as well. And, you know, every actor's I imagine pretty much every actor's goal uh, not all of them, but most of them is, is when they get a role is, you know, how is what's in this for me and for my journey as a performer? How is this going to enhance my career and elevate my stardom so that I can it's it's again, it has it has to go back to it goes back to power. You know, Johnny Depp, Will Smith, Tom Hanks, they all have gotten themselves in a position where they, by their by their professionalism and you know by the 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 resume that they have, have the privilege of being able to pick and choose what they want to work on, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's every actor's dream. You know, you you don't want to be soldier number four for your entire career. You just take what's given to you. You want to be able to control your own destiny, and I think that's I think that's true with everyone the desire to to not have to worry about you know how am i going to feed the family this week but be able to control your own destiny yeah and hopefully being on stargate elevates all of these guys uh, and girls it's that it's uh you know it's certainly a, a major production and it's it's a, a good thing for your cv so what's the role of the writer i feel kind of dopey talking about this because i've never written a teleplay and I have never acted in a television show. I mean, what am I? I'm a student. I'm a dopey website operator and podcaster. So there's only so much I can talk about from the outside. But I do consider myself to be a writer, even if it's not a writer for television and film. Have you ever uttered words from a script before? Have you ever performed on stage? Oh, I was uh, Blitzen. I was Blitzen in my third grade Christmas play. A reindeer is the only thing that you can say. Yeah. Okay. Did you have lines? I had one line. You had one. I don't know if anybody heard it, but but I had one. Well, I have acted on stage, and I know what it's like to to receive a script and um, have to interpret it. You know what? Okay, so you play the actor in this discussion, and I'll play the writer because okay. I consider myself to be a writer. Okay. Well, bringing what's... bringing life to, to the scenarios on the page. Well, you can either view it in two, from my from my interpretation from what I've done. You can either do it in two ways. How can I help this script, or how how can this script help me? Uh, is how I view it. That may be completely wrong, but you have to make the choice. You know, how am I contributing to this script or how is this script going to help me achieve whatever I want to achieve? And when I was, I mean, I've done, I've done Little Shop of Horrors. I've done Once Upon a Mattress. I've done a number of others. And I always asked myself, who is the character I'm playing and how does he fit into the overall story? 
because mine was called Santa and the Snowmobile, and I was just asking myself, how can I say this and not pee my pants? <laughs> well, I think uh, you would have benefited from doing a few more of them. Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, so I mean, the the writer has to create a compelling script, and they have to bring breathe life into the characters. You know, the dial the characters have to sound three dimensional. They have to sound real. Create characters that you don't necessarily understand completely like i mean like a man writing for a woman is is not necessarily an easy thing to do you know a lot of times you you can you can write a character a female character like you're writing a man and it works but it doesn't always do that it depends on like the character that you're writing yeah i'm not sure how i fall on this one we've got an upcoming show on women in stargate that uh, people who are interested in this topic should definitely check out um I'm not sure if it's if it's uh, if I want to say that male writers just tend to not be able to write women well and that they need a, a woman on the team. Um, I don't know. It seems like maybe if it if it becomes a, an obvious problem that that we're not getting the voice of a certain character, then maybe you need a another perspective, a female perspective. But I'm not really willing to say that a team of male writers, which in the, the current case of Stargate Universe, all the, all the guys on the team are, writer, are males and uh, have been for several years. Um, I'm not willing to say they can't, they, they can't write women. I would never say that, that men can never write female characters. That's, I mean, that's because that's absurd. That's, I mean, Stargate has, has almost always been a, a completely male team. All I'm suggesting is that there are certain things that men never think to write that are perfectly applicable in any situation. Uh, I'm not just talking about nails and things mm-hmm. like that. The female thought process is all, almost always going to be different from a man's, and the things that they think of first are not the things that a man is going to think of, and you, you lose something by not having a, a female on your team. So that's that's something that I always root for, having having a female on the, on the writing team, because they offer a different perspective. Whether or not you go for it, that, that perspective is there. Not just breathing life into the characters and creating a compelling script, but overall, creating something memorable. The writer's job is to create something that, you know, we'll say years later, man, that Fifth Race episode was fantastic. There is some television writing that just does that, that you think about the, the favorite shows that you've had and the favorite episodes in those shows, there are some cases where you can say the writing, not just the whole package, but the writing specifically was so memorable. And again, I'm thinking about Jakar and, and JMS's uh, dialogue, that these long speeches that he would give Jakar once or twice a season, especially at the very end of season three. Season three ends this hugely dramatic moment followed by this slow, quiet, soliloquy uh, voiceover narration by Jakar. Uh, it's just that sort of stuff stands out in your mind 10 years later is great writing. So can you have one without the other? I think I think an actor can elevate a bad script a little. Um, yeah. But certainly a bad actor can tear a, a, a decent script up and, and destroy it. Because, I mean, they, they look like or they, they sound like they're just not in the game. They, they're checked out. You know, it's, and what you've got is, is crap, and it's, it's terrible. Well, actors tend to get forgiven for that more than writers, don't you think? I've seen some of my favorite actors who I know are good actors. I've seen in other things that uh, in certain projects, I just, it doesn't work. Uh, I, don't, I don't like them. I don't like the character. And I think you can, you can forgive the actor for that because you've seen the actor do other things really well 
But uh, if you've got a bad actor with a really good script uh, and he makes it fall flat, then uh, you're not going to say necessarily, oh, I know that writer is, is uh, a better writer than this actor is making him look like. Mm-hmm. So more about uh, the actors who have achieved all of these things with their characters. You know, I, I've brought up Daniel. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, that Michael Shanks brings something to Daniel uh, that no one else can. But I also think uh, Brad and Rob in particular bring something to Daniel that no one else can. That those, that those three people uh, in particular develop a, um, a triad relationship that brings life to that character that is, is simply magical and rare. I mean, you, you, you're obviously, one of your favorites is McKay. And I and I try to th- think to myself, you know, wh- where are the times that, you know, we really got to see inside, underneath McKay's armor? Because what he's usually saying is he's just addressing the current situation and speaking a million miles an hour about about something that's going on in a situation that we have to get through if we're going to survive the next few minutes to, to reach the next crisis in the following week. I think you're right to observe that there are certain times where an actor will be paired with uh, a certain writer where it just tends to work more than more than it doesn't. Um, sometimes it's it's because you really like the character that the actor plays, or sometimes you, you just uh, are in sync with a certain writer, and you tend to like what that writer produces. But when those two things intersect, I think you really get some magical episodes. You get episodes like The Shrine in Season 5 of Atlantis. That was Brad Wright writing for David Hewlett. And uh, it, it's my favorite episode of Atlantis. But some of my other characters where, where I think the actors have made it shine, I mean, there's so much to choose from over uh, 16 years of Stardate history now, 16 seasons. Sam Carter's always been one of my favorite. Amanda's had, obviously, so many years to live in that character. But again, it's not just the character uh, standalone. It's, it's the character interacting with and playing off other characters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Sam is so interesting in the way that she plays off Jack, in the way that she plays off teal in the way that she plays off jacob and other times you know i'm, I'm watching sam and i've been doing a lot of research lately for prop works you know going back and watching old episodes and some of her her techno babble lines of dialogue you know i haven't i haven't seen in a couple of years and i and i listen to them and i'm like <laughs> holy cow this is just out this is outrageous this it's is outrageous it is a mouthful um how how is it that i ever bought that when i was 15 years old um, it still works, but man, who talks like this? <laughs> no one talks like this character does, but Amanda was able to make it work. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up is, is what happens when those characters get recast? Elizabeth Weir was recast. So how do you feel about the character in Atlantis versus when she was played by Jessica Steen in Lost City? And then sometimes instead of being recast, the characters end up being written out for one reason or another and replaced. You know, we had Daniel, who we, who we knew and loved. We knew his voice, uh, had huge amounts of respect for Michael Shanks. And then suddenly Daniel's gone and, and we have to deal with a new team dynamic and a new, a new dynamic from a new cast member in Jonas Quinn. Mm-hmm. You can't copy the, the feelings that you, that you had for one actor onto another. It just doesn't work. Um, but you you either accept the the new character or you learn to live with it or you, you don't. Every scenario is different. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, your question about which actors have achieved all of these things, 
which includes help from the writers for sure. Um, Stargate has produced a number of characters that are icons in science fiction or are quickly on their way to becoming icons in science fiction. I think Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson in particular, probably mm-hmm. because they're the first, they're, they're the original Stargate characters. But I mean, they've also had a lot done with them that works. And there are certainly characters out there that, I mean, they, they tried to do things with them and it just didn't work. It just didn't work for one reason or another. And I'm not going to sit here and berate any actor or any writer because something didn't work. But the fact of the matter is it didn't work. <laughs> well, that's the opposite of magic. You, you got to produce 20, 22 episodes a season and you try a bunch of stuff. And sometimes that intersection of, of great writing and great acting just makes for magic. And sometimes it, it doesn't. Sometimes it goes the other way. But at the end of the day, I think what what we are in agreement about on this podcast is fans, you and I and all our buddies out there as as viewers of Stargate, need to recognize that this is a huge collaborative process. And the actors that are front and center, that are so beautiful and appear so smart and witty and heroic on television, have a lot behind them. Not yeah, do you have any right. idea how many people are propping them up to make that happen? I mean, <laughs> not to say that they can't do it by themselves, but they need a lot of people. From gaffers yeah, to, I mean, to makeup artists in the to the dialogue. Makeup chair, making them look good. But but uh, I think at the top of that list is writers uh, who are giving them the words to say and the heroic actions to do. So what I'm suggesting is to give them a little bit more credit in the future. When you, when you look at a character and, and you, you see a character come to life and you say, ah, I want to meet them at a convention, you know, ask yourself what it was that f- you fell in love with about that character. Just have an mm-hmm. open mind about it. That's all I'm saying. And give the writers some props. Don't just give them a hard time. Well, let's open up the listener mailbag and see what we have in the voicemail box. Uh, I mix my metaphors, bag and box. Okay, play. Hi, guys. This is Thomas from Ontario. I was just calling um, about something you said on um, the Atlanta Season 1 podcast. Uh, you said none of the letters from um, letters from Pegasus may actually made it to the people. That's not true. In um, Intruders, uh, in Season 2, uh, there's a little flashback of John when he's um, talking to um, Aiden Ford's, it's, it's his cousin, um, she says that, she, that um, he mentions John Shepard in the tape message, so obviously she got it. Some other people might not have gotten it, but at least I definitely know she got it. Oh, okay. That's a fine point. I did not realize that. It's been a while since I've seen that scene from that episode. Was there another episode that you were citing in that discussion that, that made it sound like the letters were not delivered, or at least some of them were Yeah, not? McKay and Mrs. Miller. McKay and Mrs. Miller. Remind me what happened there. Jeannie, Jeannie never got the message that Rodney made for her. And that's why I, I asked Martin about that later, and Martin had said that, that you know, those, those messages would only have gone out if those people had died. And that's mm. what started that. Hey, Darren and David. It's Joel from Houston. I realize I'm a little late for it, but I'm calling in regards to the uh, open mic night. I was wondering if you guys could discuss some of your favorite TV shows outside of Stargate, past or present mainly science fiction shows that you guys are interested in or maybe that were formative in your geekdom, as it were. Also, a second question, I was wondering if you guys could talk about the Lost Season 6 premiere that just aired. 
you listen to this podcast for more than about 20 minutes straight, I think you'll you'll hear uh, some references to Star Trek, particularly The Next Generation for me, and I think particularly to Voyager for you. Next Generation came on in 87, 87 to 94. I was in, uh, I'm going to say probably junior high. So my, my formative sci-fi geekdom years, I watched the original track in syndication, and then I was right there every single Saturday night for The Next Generation. I watched the latter years of Next Gen with my parents, uh, too, and we, and we transferred over to Voyager a little bit. That was the family show. Other shows like Lost and Battlestar, I'm, I'm staring at my DVD collection right now. I mean, Firefly Heroes, Joan of Arcadia, Life Goes On, Malcolm in the Middle, Outer Limits, Poltergeist, The Legacy, Sequest, DSV, The Simpsons, Look at you. Enterprise, MASH, and Seinfeld. That's that's everything that's sitting here in front of me. Oh, Smallville as well. My um, DVD collection is boxed up in a storage unit in Central Oregon. I'm so sad. <laughs> um, modern shows, Lost, is, is definitely one of the best things going right now. Doctor Who is one that I watched that, that David doesn't. Uh, I grew up, we got, we got a little bit of Doctor Who on PBS, so... Uh, I grew up in the Tom Baker years, and I love the new Doctor Who. It's so good. Um, Farscape. I was an adult by then, but Farscape is one of my all-time favorites. The season six premiere of Lost, Joel also asks about. David hasn't watched it yet and is not planning to for a couple months so he can sit down and watch all of season six in a run. Correct. But I am watching them weekly. And, uh, man, Vincent. What can you say? Vincent and that apartment. I can't believe... They're do- and they're sleeping in the same bed, Ben and Vincent. I, this is just going to make for hilarity. Did Vincent even appear in that episode? <laughs> no. Hi, this is Chris from Fort Lauderdale. Um, the MMO. I think it, it's going to be a failure regardless of where they let it go. And I'm a fan, and I really wanted to see it, but I'm going to tell you why. They had a window of opportunity about six months to a year ago to release it, and it'd be the really good sci-fi game, the only really good sci-fi game out there. Eve, to me, is nothing. It's a niche game. It doesn't have many subscribers. Well, you know, now Star Trek Online just came out, which, by the way, is fantastic. I love it. And I'm going to be playing that. And like many people, I don't think many people are going to go for a second MMO. Stargate Resistance is out. So the sooner they get out Stargate Worlds, the better. I mean, the Unreal Engine that they used is to, to create it is not getting any younger. Uh, so the graphics are going to look more and more antiquated every year that it hasn't been published. So, I mean, but there's a lot, there's a lot going into that that uh, we just don't know yet. Yeah, not being an MMO player, I can't really comment. I'm not sure how many uh, games you guys tend to play. I mean, you tend to to basically get sucked into one and play that and only that in your MMO time, or do you kind of bounce back and forth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I play. I I reconnect my my WoW subscription lately to World of Warcraft, maybe once every ten months or so, and then play it for a month and then disconnect again. It's long enough for me to get to about six or seven levels cleared, and then I. I wait for the next expansion pack to come out, and then I go it again. So I, I'm I'm really really cheap when it comes when it comes to that. <laughs> I wait I wait for the 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 expansions to be in the bargain bin before I go, 
You know, I, yeah. I stay I stay a healthy distance behind that curve so that I'm not paying sixty bucks for every expansion or whatever it is. Like expansion is like thirty, but you know, yeah. fifteen. Well, thanks everybody for those voicemails. If you want to call us this week, here is this week's listener question. Next week on February seventeenth, we're going back to Star Date history, and we'll be talking about Stargate Atlantis season two. So, in the spirit of that, what's your favorite episode from season two, and why do you love it? February seventeenth, Atlantis season two. That's on the schedule. What about the twenty fourth of February, Darren? February twenty fourth. It's head to head. We're pitting Battlestar Galactica against our beloved Stargate. We're going to see how those two shows line up. And then on March the third, Women in Stargate. This is tentative. Tentative um, because we need to make sure that we clear our guests. Unlike our male-dominated sex on SGU show, we thought that we should get some women who are fans of Stargate to talk about the topic of women in Stargate. So we are in the process of booking those fine, fine ladies. By fine, I mean uh, excellent, thoughtful commentators. Yes, and either Darren or I will bow out for the main discussion so we can keep a healthy triad. Um, Wow, the second time I've used that word in a uh, a podcast (laughs) uh, for that discussion because, you know, I mean, it's more than three is just nuts, so... This could be interesting. This was a, a nice idea that you had. Again, all the good podcast ideas come from David. Well, thank you. Now, you have a couple good ones. Every year, maybe, I have a good one. Um, Atlantis. Let's talk about that. So uh, your idea was for women in Stargate to get try and find two women who are fans, but who, who are also sort of at the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, Almost diametrically it, opposed on their opinions. Hopefully diametrically opposed. We'll see. So uh, we'd like to, to get those t- two women together for a conversation, and then either David or I hopefully will we'll be there to sort of moderate and guide the discussion. That's going to be a fun That's on March 3rd. That's our show for this week. Thanks once again for tuning into the podcast. If you'd like to give us a call on the voicemail line, you can leave us your thoughts about Atlanta Season 2 or anything else Stargate-related that's on your mind. That number is area code 951-262-1647. Often on open line night, you know, we get questions like, you know, what are your favorite shows that from the past that really have created uh, you as you are? You know, you can send us those any week, you know, and, and when it comes to the end of the show, when we open up the mailbag, I mean, we're, we'd be happy to answer it. Detour us for a few minutes and then we'll get up back on track to wrap up the show. You know, those are fun. Yeah. Pick our brains. Feel free to pick our brains, not just on open line night. If you don't want to call the hotline, but you still want to get your voice on the show, you can also record a short message on your computer and email it to webmaster at gateworld.net. And also don't forget about the podcast feedback thread over on the forum if you want to give us your opinions in written form or just uh, shoot the breeze. We hang out there. It's fun. It's a good time. Name in town, name in town, if you wish to opine. Yes, very good. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us. Yep, yep, another week, another show. I can't believe it's already been a week. It has. Yeah, they seem to fly by so fast. Oh, it's because I'm watching Lost. I feel so happy when I'm watching Lost. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. And we'll see you back here next week for another installment of the GateWorld podcast. Bye-bye. Oh.